On tonight's episode of Eureka Cast Now, new state of matter confirmed what we now know about light dust. Do octopi experience emotional pain? Well, we'll find out. And of course, it's award season. So hear about all the big winners in our second half. Hello, I'm glad you're here. I'm lead media disruption developer Kai Hubers, and this is EurekaCast, now where we discuss the latest news in science. But you know what? Also technology. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and mesmerizing scintillations from the silver-lined screen as we celebrate the art of cinema this week. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, as usual, Rowan, that was a, a, a lot of gibberish. I don't think, I don't think you'd know what a scintillization machine, machine is. Um, but that is 100% true. It is award season. So what we are doing in the second half of this show for the special feature is we're talking about the films, the films that made it and the films that didn't. Right, and setting aside those comments that uh, were unnecessary, uh, that that is uh, that is the case. There are they don't even make film screens out of silver lining anymore, Rowan. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we will be discussing uh, the big winners and some of the losers because, in with regards to cinemas, with regards to movie making, there's only so much room at the top, and there's right. so many interesting, good ideas that just don't make the cut. And that's almost more fun than talking about the winners. We'll talk about the winners. Right. But... We'll talk about the winners, but we'll, we really we just want to talk about the science. We come at it from the scientific perspective, as we always do here on Eureka Cast Now. But before we do that, we have some scientific stories to talk about. Uh, and I believe, Rowan, you brought it for us one today? Yes, I do. I have a Eureka moment oh. to start us off. That is, of course, a, uh, a new discovery or innovation in the world of science or technology. Mm-hmm. This one in the realm of uh, marine biology, Ooh. as it has been officially confirmed that octopi do experience emotional pain. And really? may I say that it took them long uh Enough. It's about yeah. It's about time. There was a study that just came out from the uh, University of Strömgurt in Sweden. <laughs> yes, and of course. They through the know use of well. injections of acetic acid into the tentacles of octopi uh. and association of that pain with various uh, chambers that the octopi could choose between, realized that the octopi, the cephalopod, could associate in its memory mm-hmm. the 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 of pain yes and avoid that memory of pain so if i'm understanding without the, without the pain being involved they right. remembered the agony in, they, in yes, by they confirmation of this study the trauma so to speak absolutely it, i mean it sounds like, so it sounds like because they've they made sort of uh saw traps as one would see in say the movie saw four um, where one would be tortured and would have to make choices as a result of, of that pain. They made this for, for our octopus friends. I don't know if I would necessarily go that far, although... We are talking a, about mute movies today. On, on, a, on a, We are talking about the movies this, this evening, but uh, I will say that the, the level of cruelty on display mm. is equivalent as between the jigsaw from the hit series of films saw, saw four yes uh, 
and as well as uh, the researchers at this particular facility and and the researchers in um, uh, you know uh, behavioral marine science uh, behavioral mm -hmm. uh, marine biology because frankly if these so-called academics right in their were, lab coats. were willing to Ivory towers. sit down and actually just observe the animals mm -hmm. and 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 commune with these creatures these Com wonderful cherished beings commune with them they would understand right away that of course they can experience emotional pain it's it's unbelievable the lengths and the barbarity that some of these researchers will go to prove things that are patently obvious mm -hmm. Like that oct octopuses experience emotional pain. Well, I mean, if they're capable of being wise, which they are, and they, being... Are they now? Really? Absolutely, absolutely. They are called the owls of the sea, yes. Well, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. That's a different sort of uh, intelligence, a sort of sure. a different sort of communion. You're mm -hmm. comparing apples and oranges at that point, right. but <laughs> they, are, they are deeply wise. They are, they are emotionally rich. Anyone who works with them it's understands very clinical that terms. on an instinctual level. They understand right, like you have I, well, well, absolutely uh, the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science Dead Man's Gulch campus sure. on the east side on the east far east side. We have wonderful studies going on that demonstrate squid which are categorically a lesser cephalopod to the octopus. They are sure. they are a notch down. They are cherished. They are, I cherish them. I value them. I, I, they are valid, mm. but they, they're just a notch down. And even on the, these squid, on the ladder that is evolution, even these squid are capable of feeling not just emotional pain, but mm -hmm. but fully fledged concepts like dread, longing, mm -hmm. remorse, nostalgia, nostalgia. Yes, they, this which is, is remarkable considering the lifespan of the squid, certainly. Right. But, but the point being, and, and that's all strictly from observational studies, because when a scientist is willing to sit down and actually spend the effort mm -hmm. and the time to to put themselves in, in a, in a, a non-egocentric headspace. Put themselves in the squid's tentacles. Exactly. Put themselves in in the space, the headspace mm, of the of squid. Cephalopod means head foot. Put your head with the foot in this scenario. Is that what it means, head foot? It does. Interesting. Very. It's very interesting. Well, you know, I'd be very interested to see the um, the data that you've collected on the nostalgia of the cephalopod. Well, that's not my department, but um, I've heard very interesting things uh, coming from, uh, you know, the newsletters that get passed right. around. Really, this goes to show that we there are we need to have visionaries like Dr. James Lilly to, to in in this modern era step in, mediate contact with our aquatic brethren. Mm -hmm. You know, communication is not impossible. We just have to want it more. <laughs> then who? Then what? Then us now? Yes, I see. Um, well, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Rowan. I'm sure there was a semblance of uh, scientific rigor in there. Somewhere. I, I got a, I've, I did get a, I will, as the, as the kids say, I did get a little heated there, but it's just, it pains me. To, <laughs> they do say that. Yes, they do. On the internet. I've heard, I've heard some of my uh, grad students saying that. And you, you put, you put soap in their mouth when they do. Do you have a story, Kai? Yes, actually I do. My story tonight is, uh, it's actually a Eureka controversy. It's a controversial piece of science and technology. It's a controversial piece of science uh, that has come out recently, and people are, well, they're of two minds about it. There's some discussion about the ethicality of this. A divisive issue. Yes, it's a very divisive issue, and that is the growing trend of uh, what are being called deep fakes 
of satellite images of, of, of images of large you know spans of of the earth of cities of landscapes taken from satellites now i've heard this term deep fake before right. and usually it's in the context of um celebrities politicians mm-hmm. that sort of thing i don't really know what it means could you just explain that for sure. for say with myself uh, and the audience of course Rowan. i will do this for you thank because, you because um i'm sure the audience i'm sure the audience knows what this all means i'm sure they've done a lot of research on it but really just this is just for you um so ai generated images so we have artificial intelligence we are able to take images of celebrities understand sort of how they move and we were able to make pictures of them uh in different positions than they've done in different places than they've done than they've been uh in, in some cases you know videos of them doing things uh that they've never done before tech brothers laboratories the new media labs has done a lot of research on this exact thing hmm. making taking pictures of people and making new pictures of people that look just like those people only you know in different situations and you're in this same All principle AI is being applied now to satellite imagery. Exactly. There are tons of satellites uh, taking pictures all the time. And it's only a matter of time that we've been able to uh, make fake images from the real, real ones that exist. Um, and, well, we actually talked with, um, we actually talked with uh, my friend, uh, Jeremy Techlaw, um, at New Media Labs, because he is the new media cartographer. Or the cartography consultant there, at New Media Labs. That's a very interesting position, right? It is. It so is. Where, I agree. Where, where where does cartography fall in the new media landscape? Well, the thing is, and and Jeremy said this. Um, well, that you, you know, this is an art. This this uh, remaking of geographic images f- from what is actually there, quote unquote, actually there. Um, is is an art thousands of years old, and for good reason, um, because I mean, according to Jeremy, uh, you know, it's it has a lot of uses. It is a tool that it disrupts all areas of science, industry, and technology. Okay, so I'm I'm sorry, Kai. I yes. I, I think I think that Questions. we we lost we lost the the, the thread there for uh-huh. a moment because. Well, I don't think so. Because go ahead, uh, the deep faking satellite images, yes. um, cartography. So right. this is this is clearly issues of incorrect maps. Well, yeah, I mean, to is some that extent. is that what that is that what that looks like? Brass tacks? Is that are these? What is that? What's is what, what's happening in these instances? Yeah, well, we're recreating geographical locations, which are what maps sort of track. Maps are where early man. That's you know legacy media. Maps are legacy media. They were trying to recreate what, you know, the world looked like, um, you know, for somebody that isn't from that part of the world to see and, and be able to sort of read. We're doing the same thing only with satellites now. And so it's, it's very similar art, recreating, faking, deep faking the world around us so that, that it looks, the geography looks different. There was a jump. There was a very, very noticeable jump there, it's Kai. This, no, it's the same thing. You see... You, but I haven't even gotten to the controversy. Okay, yet, okay, right? okay. Fair enough. Fair so, enough, Kai, please. So here's the controversy. On one hand, it is a great outlet for us to create a more interesting, better world. We talk about cha- systematic changes and things like that. Yes. What it, comes down to, what it comes down to is if you can just change what the geography looks like, you've created a new world. And that's what we're doing here. Um, uh, but on the other hand... So, 
Yes, oh, Rowan. No, please. Please continue, Kai. On the other hand, this could revolutionize, as I said, all industries. We could be seeing new industries pop up as a result of this new art form. We could see new sciences popping up as a result of this new art form. Right now, Jeremy Chiklaw is our only new media cartography consultant. If this, is, if this continues to be a trend, we can hire two, maybe three more new media cartography consultants. Now, Kai, I, I, yes, I, just, just, to, just, to, just to clarify, yes. um, the purpose of a, of a map, whether that be in the form of a, a, a parchment, a vellum, mm. um, uh, an, an inscription on the inside of an ancient tomb, right. perhaps. Whale blubber. Uh, exactly. Uh, but the, the purpose of a map, the utility of the map, is that it is a reflection of geographical features to allow you to navigate. Correct. Um, sir, that is one limitation of them, yes. So how does having false information en- enhance the utility or the, 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 the it, 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 something doesn't quite mesh here, Kai? Um, well, I mean, let me tell you about some of New Media Lab's accomplishments in the areas, and maybe that'll change your mind. Oh, certainly. So Tech Brothers uh, has historically been experimenting as you know, Jer- uh, uh, Jeremy specifically has been experimenting with uh, this this deep fake cartography, this deep fake um, satellite imagery, and uh, has actually been able to create some very convincing images that have changed society in some way. For example, uh, one success was the Logan Square asteroid. Of course, we all remember uh, the, I do, the I news do of Logan that. Square being uh, destroyed by an asteroid. And uh, the uh, the sigh of relief across the city in many quarters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the next one was, of course, the existence of the quote-unquote hidden Glen Gardens Bridge neighborhood of Chicago, which never actually existed, but so many people believed it existed because we had satellite images of it. Hmm. And then, of course, our longest and most su- successful deep fake um, being the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. What I, wa- what I want to do, and I know we don't do calls to action, but for any citizen scientists out there... Um, if, if you're interested in this, you too can consider sort of, you know, inventing your own neighborhood, uh, you know, inventing. What do you think it, you know, the dark side of the moon looks like? Because nobody really knows. Those are all deep fakes as well. Um, you know, what can you do, citizen scientists out there, listeners? What would you deep fake in your world? Well, Kai, that is... Um... That is very controversial. That is extremely controversial. There are I feel so many th- sides to I this feel, story. I feel as though that the both sides of this controversy were not necessarily addressed um, in this instance. But I um, disagree. But but that was that was um, that was. Uh, it's it'll be good fodder for discussion, perhaps around the water cooler. I have one more story okay. uh, in the first part of the program. And that is, of course, the newest shockwave that to hit the archaeology community. Mm-hmm. It's having archaeologists astounded um, uh, within the mainstream, all the way out to the fringe, um, the so-called oh, fringe, all the way out there, all the way. Um, wow. uh, and that is, of course, those, those people have some ideas. They have some wonderful ideas, and I think I think that you might. Consider the fringe slightly less fringe once I get into this, uh-huh. because n- another sure. crystal bone has been found. 
Really? Now, everyone knows about the crystal skulls. The crystal skulls are a well-known phenomenon. These are these are purported artifacts. Yes, of, purported uh, is a very important of of here. ancient civilizations that uh, take the form of these uh, clear crystal carved skulls, mm. purportedly carved. Right. This is unique because it's not a skull that was found. Oh, it was a foot bone, a a talus to be specific. Okay. And as you can imagine, that set archaeologists across the world scrambling <laughs> well, I mean, to get a to get access to this this footbone. Rowan, yeah, I mean, if I know anything about archaeologists, is that when it, if feet are involved, they're there. Well, it's with the footsteps as much with this bone, and right. it's it's you know this all began with the death of a um, anonymous collector of antiquities in Flagstaff, Arizona. Mm, um, sure, they were going through the estate and uh, they stumbled upon this specimen. And I'll say this very, mu- I'll say this right now. I'll okay. say this right away. Say it is very easily to tell when one of these is a forgery oh it's very easy to tell when um a, 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 a something it's a hoax it is not the genuine article then not the genuine ancient crystal right. artifact typically it is there's evidence certainly oh yeah the, typically it is but not all can be easily dismissed and this mm. is a case <laughs> of something not being so easily dismissed um and uh, it, adding to this the excitement to this adding okay. to everything this is the first ever crystal foot bone to be found ever completely completely never un- unheard of completely mm-hmm. new completely novel and that for example might be evidence that it's a it's a yeah it's a phony well, maybe or maybe it is a significant finding um and that is sure. that is what is up in the air right now uh the verdict is still out on mm. the veracity of this of course but uh archaeologists are preparing to uh travel to Flagstaff to analyze and scrutinize this talus. And I'm going to say I'm assuming they're going in with the idea to try and debunk this. That is what most archaeologists will do, rightly or wrongly. They're real spoil spurts, aren't they, Rowan? They they can be. They can be. Um, But given the way I've heard archaeologists describe this find... (laughs) Do you have any of that, any of those... It's en- enraptured, bomb, practically balmy language. So I'm really hoping they'll come in with an open mind. Right. Um, and to answer your question, yeah, there there was a number of uh, one of the individuals, one of these archaeologists, a very well esteemed um, professor in, of, of uh, archaeology, right. uh, sort of described this vivid fantasy they had, placing <laughs> them back in time, um, and and having the the the, the foot that was. Uh-huh. <laughs> represented but okay. just pressing down on their face mm. um and you know another was describing how they want to uh to sort of cradle it and and observe it close as if it were a precious a precious child you know the archaeologists are fascinated they're very very excited about right. this so they, i'm hoping they'll go in with an open mind an open mind that perhaps there are crystal people that have existed well i didn't want to bring that up but if you are going to bring that up oh okay I think, I think that I think that this specimen will prove hard to dismiss, as I said earlier. Okay. I th- and I and I do think that with the recovery of more crystalline bones going forward, we might be able to fully understand what left behind these these artifacts, these unexplained um, pieces of uh, of cultural relevance, mm-hmm. or perhaps 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 biology. Perhaps these are crystalline entities, and perhaps. Perhaps, Rowan. Um, thanks for that. Perhaps I think it's about. Perhaps. 
think it's about time perhaps we move on. They're still among us. Just think about that. Hopefully the data comes out and tells us what's real. My story, my next story is a new discovery made by Tech Brothers own particle identification Arctic surveillance station called PS. Uh, they discovered, and you might want to sit down for this. But I've been sitting this entire time. We Kai. believe that they discovered a brand new state of matter never before seen. Really? Yes, really. I mean, this is big news. We, we have solid. We have liquid. We have gas. We have plasma. We have some other ones. I think sand is one now. Colloid. I think colloid is considered part of it. Well, that's, haze. that's not haze, fog. Milk, I think, is one. Um, but what we've discovered now is um, is based on matter wave uh, tracing and analysis at the PS. Um, scientists believe that they've discovered a new state of matter called light dust. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, there are people. There, there. They people speak of stardust in sort of this this sort of you know metaphorical sense right. but what you're saying this sounds almost like it would be stardust in in the popular conception um well not necessarily i mean maybe i mean, we'll, we'll get into does it does it sparkle we'll talk about that so there's still a lot unknown about this novel state of matter um this is what we do know again because not a lot has been generated we haven't seen a lot yet we're still waiting for the data to come back um but it appears to the naked eye as a flat jostling husk that takes up only the fourth of its container Hmm. Um, it is completely transparent besides a milky sheen, and it is described as unsettlingly viscous. So, has a sample been uh, acquired to to make these, to make these, is there a sample of light dust on Earth, or is this purely theorized or have been seen in space? Well, we've, we've seen it. Base we, again. We're using antennas. We're using surveillance right, stations right, right. to detect this. So we've seen the traces of it. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen it in person yet, but we believe it is it is possible. Like if it was easy to see, we would have found it thousands of years ago, right? But it's not. It it takes some time. In fact, um, what we believe is that um, we, we it was detected by Piazza. Um, we believe it was created um, by thin bifurcated blastoid particles in the atmosphere particle cologloids hmm. um when they interact with the inverse cosmic force pockets um that exist all over antarctica when they interact with these force pockets those cologloids they uh they sort of turn into this new state of matter light dust um and it's believed that uh we may be able to once we harness the power of light dust we may be able to revolutionize the fields of consumer electronics. Oh, that's that's incredible. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, that that is really quite something. Throw um, your plasma TV in the garbage because we're seeing light dust TV. Yeah. Well, what is the application there w with light dust to the uh, to the electronics? Well, we hope in five to ten years we're gonna. It's um, they're they're we think they're gonna be a lot better. So they go into the diodes that are making the, the lights or mm -hmm. the batteries. They go into the diodes. They go into the um, the chips. Yeah. Screens. Maybe even the remote control. 
Well, that's very, very informative, Kai. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I believe it is time for our mid-show it segment, is. and you have something prepared for us, don't you, I Kai? do, I do. Today's mid-show segment I prepared is... Uh, so I'm calling a texture day reflection. Oh, this is this is new. This it is, is new. Yes. What is a texture day reflection? Well, I'm going to look back on what happened in years texture day, or mm. in what happened in the past. What happened today, May first, um, in the past. Specifically today, I'm talking about 1964, at 4 a.m. on May first, at Dartmouth College, John G. Kemi and Thomas E. Kurtz, on this day. About 40 years, 60 years ago, they successfully ran their BASIC, um, which stands for Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code Language, which is considered the first first high-level computer programming language ever. They ran a program using this language for the first time. Wow. Revolutionary. That, that, I suppose so. It was revolutionary because before this, Rowan, I don't have to tell you, but before this, people had to punch holes into compact disks and insert them into computers, and that was coding to them. Very rudimentary way of coding, but what they had to do is they had to poke holes in, in CDs and put them in, and that's how the computer knew what you wanted to code. Uh, I don't know about that, Kai. Well, who's the expert here, Rowan? Well, it, Honestly, it's primitive. Primitive based on uh, today's methods. Um, but what this new symbolic and instruction based, this new sleek and powerful language could do, it changed everything. It could change everything. And, um, well, that's why today we nobody has an excuse not to code. If you're not coding right now, what's wrong with you? So reflect on that for this mid-show. Well, thank you very much, Kai. When we come back... We are talking the movies. We are talking cinemas as the Europeans know it, Mm -hmm. um, as I choose to know it. And I I, uh, I think about them as new media. Well, it would be. We just. It's not new media. Well, the the ones that I. It's not old. It's not. We'll 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 cover transitional media. We'll cover all of that and more when we come back after our short station break. Mm -hmm. So please stay tuned. And we are back. We are back. Welcome back. And it is time for our special feature. We are, we are talking about the the movies this year, during this year. And what's very special about the movies that took that took place that happened this year was that they all came out during one of the largest pandemics, I I'd say ever. Since, uh, as far as I can remember, uh, it's certainly as far as I can remember as well. And um, it, it should be clarified as well. We are talking about the movies, but we're talking about specifically mm-hmm. the awards, right? Because we, it is award season in Tinseltown, and uh, we will be discussing. Uh, we want we want to discuss the big winners, the the losers, um, with of course the lens of scientific uh, mindfulness, right. sort of kept there, right? Which is why we are going to discuss uh, the Terry Excellence Awards for excellence in film science excellence, right? And, um, and as you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you or the listener, um, Terry Excellence, as we know, is is a notable. The, these films, these film awards, are named after the notable. Scientist, engineer, industrialist Terry Excellence, who developed amazing innovations and optimizations in Chicago-based meat hook technologies. Really considered one of the uh, uh, virtuosos, a sort of a savant when right. it came to 
um, the industrialization, the innovation, right. and the disruption in some ways of the meatpacking industry. Exactly. Um, Made Chicago what it is today. Whether or not you would necessarily agree with that on a moral level, he was a right. brilliant man. Brilliant, brilliant man. And that's why we, um, we commemorate him today by giving him, by talking about mo- science in movies. Because the man what did have a was well known for his love of cinema, almost He's as well known for his love of cinema as his, his own declogging uh, brand uh, sewage gutters. Yeah, as as well as his love for meat, he would eat an entire cow a day, from what I heard. Um, but let's get it right into these awards. Um, we wanted to cover them because we think it is a great combination between are between the arts and the sciences. Um, you know, finally. We want to talk about the science in art because that's really what matters, right? And 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 in a way too, the thing about art is as an educational tool. It as, is as, as, as new media, certainly. It, um, I don't know if cinema really would be considered new media, Kai. It's rel- It's it's a fairly old media. Well, what we're doing new things with it is all I'm saying, Rowan. And I think you should hold off your judgment on what is and what isn't new media because I'm the lead media disruption developer here. Certainly, certainly. So let's talk. Let's. But, I, but as I was attempting you, to say, what are you attempting? To uh, say, what I was Rowan? attempting to say was that art is a wonderful way to teach people, right? science scientific concepts i, I agree and, begrudgingly um, and 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 at the same time though it can be a potent weapon of disinformation it can put misconceptions in people's heads um that's true you know um look at things like uh dinosaurs uh you know not having feathers uh ouija boards being the tool of evil sort of you know machinations these are things that are patently false and you know miss attributions put forth by pop culture so essentially oh, it yeah. is it is important um, that well movies it is important that pop culture is yeah. has scientific accuracy yeah i be, i don't agree with i don't agree with your second point rowan but i i agree with your overall message right and why we're going to celebrate portrayals of science in cinema today and in the cinema that came out in 2020 yeah and um before we get into that, though, before we get into the terror, Again, Rowan, we're so close. Please. Before before we get into that, very quickly before we get into that, um, I do need to make a quick point about a movie that I watched. No, no. I, that I watched you over the You can't do that. That's not what, that's not what it's about. No, 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 no. Please, please, Kai, please. I don't want to hear it. No, Kai, please. I saw a film. At home, I streamed this film. It doesn't and, matter, and, 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 and it was, it was, uh, uh, the th- it was like the the ground came out from under me. Is this I about almost, science? I almost fainted. Yes, it's about science. It's about the environment, okay. and okay. it's about forces that conspire to undermine the largest part of our world, the ocean, and that is, of course, seaspiracy. And here's the thing that you need to understand about what is. I don't even know what that is. Seaspiracy. I cannot give qualitative language on this film. And frankly, I w- am worried about describing its context on the air. Then don't. Not, not because it's lewd, not because it's obscene, but because the powers that be very well could step in at any point and pull the plug on this. Because people, do, they don't want you to see Seaspiracy. The, 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 the wider community, the wider you know, tinsel town, if you want to call it that, they don't want it to be. They don't want you to see it. Where did you see this film? Netflix. 
The point is that the, there's a very good reason Seaspiracy didn't get any nods, and that was conscious. That was a conscious choice. Because, because nobody, I, nobody I can, liked it? I cannot, give a, I, cannot, it? I cannot give a call to action out. I cannot give a call to action. But um, there's some very compelling points. Some very, some very good I points that. that if you want to know what the truth is and who pulls the strings and what's going on, I would encourage that. I would encourage in you know looking at this movie. But at the same time, and this will be my last point, Kai, on this. It should you should have had no points on my last point on this. Seaspiracy. Mm-hmm. It goes deeper. Is that a is that a joke? Keep diving. Can we talk about the Terry Excellence Awards for Excellence in Film Scientific Excellence? Absolutely, Kai. Absolutely. Okay. So the very first one we want to talk about is the uh, is the award for the best portrayal of a scientist in film. And, and we went over this. The portrayals of scientists in films, uh, historically bad. Historically between um, sort of needlessly quirky right. and silly and right. over the top and they're kooky. Thrown around, they're thrown around test tubes. They're making explosions. We all know Dr. Strangelove. Things like of that sort. And, and that's on the one end, and that's more almost on the benign end. Right. And on the other end, you have, uh, you know, monstrous people. You have perhaps the Joker, you know, releasing uh, toxins into Gotham's no, water supply. He, he, yeah. As, and for a for a wonderful scientific figure like the Joker, it's, amazing, it's, it's unbelievable for him to be portrayed in such negative ways. Um, but what, what we do want to talk about is, is the... Um, is a good portrayal of a scientist, the award for the best portrayal of a scientist in, in 2020. And, and Rowan, do you want to tell us which, uh, which, which film of the many films nominated won that one? Yes. And this is, honestly, this is not a shocker by any no, stretch of imagination. This is, it was a clear winner from the get-go. Right. Um, that is, of course, the character Cyborg from Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is a character, this character personifies... Who a scientist is? He, he, this man is a scientist, is an engineer of his own body. And if that's not dedication, then I don't know what it is. It, it's, it's very transhumanist. It's it, yes. very... Um, it's very DIY. And, and, it's very... And, 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 you know, when you watch the film, you know, every, every superhero team, I don't really engage in superhero things all that often, mm-hmm. but every superhero team does need a a scientist type they need the, the, they, the they need an individual who has access to yeah. vast troves of information right and can hack and do all yeah. of these things the iron man and, or yeah and 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 cyborg science man Cy, Cy, cyborg does the role admirably and so yes. um i think this is a uh i think that's obvious i think that's a good one congratulations uh cyborg from Zack snyder's justice league do we have that actor's name um don't think so. I believe it's just cyborg. What's the next one, Kai? The next one is the best portrayal of a scientific concept in film. So slightly different. Again, as we talked about, portrayals of scientific concepts can be very misleading for people um, when they when they see films. They may they may think absurd things like you know you know that crystals are good for health or you know absurd claims like cars they can fly or, or something we don't we it's it's misleading people uh they or, certainly or can you can see your if you go into a black hole you see your daughter's bookshelf or whatever whatever inter- interstellar was talking about right. or a biologist would live 
successfully on Mars. Right. Unbelievable things. Right, right. Um, and, and, but, um, and, and I mean, part of that has to do with that oftentimes uh, the, re- the way that a certain concept would work uh, just is not very interesting. It's very, it's not very, uh, it's not very compelling. It doesn't mm. lend itself to a story. And as well, and we have touched on this uh, on and off. Um, and once again, it feels appropriate to mention it. Some things sound some some fields of science, some scientific concepts. Right. They sound sexy when you hear them, mm-hmm. but then you get to re- the reality of the fact. Yeah. The reality of the matter. Right. It's not very sexy at all. Right. Do you have an example example of that, Ron? Um, absolutely. Volcanology. Sounds really sexy. What is it about? Well, I mean, you know, the when you watch these movies of these volcano with these volcano sure. scientists, the I popular see. conception is they're out um, on you know rock climbing. They're fit. They're they throw some sweat off their brow and mm-hmm. it hits the the lava and it's you know it turns to steam. I've seen that film. Yes. Yes, and then and, and then in reality. In reality, you could not be out there with shorts like that no. in the lava flows. Need- they look like baked potatoes. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to, right. you know, diminish. I'm not going to body shame someone who wishes to present themselves or needs to present themselves in it's not the a, point of our show, Rowan. In a tinfoil. Make your point. The point is, is that uh, it's hard to portray a scientific concept Um both accurately right. and interestingly. Which is why we want to give the award, or I'd say, consider a film, I'd start off by saying this, consider a film like Tenet. Mm-hmm. Tenet is a positive portrayal of time travel. It's time travel done right. Chris, Christopher Nolan, you did it again. You took a very simple idea, very simple idea like the Einsteinian time travel, the things that real scientists talk about when they were discussing quantum theory in the early nineteenth, in the early twentieth century, and you turn it into a sort of a mind-blowing of epic proportions. Um, it was clear. It was concise. It was it was a mathematic. It's a scientific concept portrayed in its appropriate way. Perhaps even more accurately and with more nuance than films like Primer. You know, yeah, or Back to the Future. Uh, but. Unfortunately, Tenet was not the winner. No. Um, instead, the winner for best portrayal of a scientific concept, also for time travel, was, of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Of course. For when Ezra Miller's Flash goes back in time to uh, prevent um, something. Um, I, I, haven't, I, I, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, but the next, the next award we want to give is for the most realistic portrayal of not just not, this is not no time is not a scientific concept but the scientific method itself the method by which we know everything we know um again it's um, sometimes we see like people coming up with inventions or creations or discoveries um and it's not it's it doesn't it doesn't work it, they they it's like they have this moment and they know things and then you know everything goes right for them and that's just not how the scientific method works it takes trial and error of course and and you know um because once again you know the actual reality of the scientific method of doing tests over and over again having them fail is not very gratifying in a narrative sense Mm -hmm. so once again it comes back to how do you balance in a film uh portraying the scientific method accurately right uh, versus perhaps 
looking at the scientific method is only a vehicle to get from point A to point B. It's a it's a difference sure. in philosophy. Sure, yeah. Um, so we want to commend Nomadland, um, where a character takes a tr- like, takes a trip uh, across the American West. It's mm-hmm. it's a very inspiring film. But there was a great great scene um, where the the lead character steps on a snake. And uh, the snake bites her, and she then spends a bulk of the rest of the movie uh, developing an antitoxin, um, you, you know, in her trailer, mixing chemicals very precisely. Things go wrong. She's sweating. She's feeding things to rats. Some of the rats die. Like, it's, it is exactly how the scientific method works. It's exhausting, but finally she, she figures, out, figures out the antitoxin, the antivenom, and she cures herself. And that's the rewarding part. So it's truly how the scientific method does work in reality. And it does take up the bulk of the runtime as it's well, so which, much, is, which yeah. is extremely bold. But, um, and, and so I would agree. I think that is a strong contender. Unfortunately, um, the winner was not Nomadland. No. It was, um, of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League because— uh-huh. And I have to admit, I do find this quite fascinating. The film itself does not portray the scientific method mm-hmm. necessarily, but the film itself is the only movie to have ever been released with a control. Yes, that being, that being the Joss Whedon uh, version of Justice League, which was the control, was the sugar a sugar pill of a movie released to the public to test um, to, to test what the placebo effect might be. Sociologists often complain, um, you know, pull their chair, their hair out, beat yes. their chest about the fact that uh, in a sociological spaces there are no, there is no ability to have a control group. Right. There's no way to to do these things in such a manner where um, the public ha- accesses is separate in one space and not separate another. But mm-hmm. this is as close as uh, as having a sociological control as I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to ab- applaud uh, Zack Snyder and perhaps WB to a lesser extent for being so, so bold, right. so engaging with this. Exactly. The next one we have is the most mathematically rigorous film. A lot of times math doesn't play a part in films, or at least enough. So we want to commend the movies that, in fact, do throw a hat to the M in STEMG. Right. And, um, you know, uh, as always, very easy to have it idealized and have numbers flying around the screen and and have some sort of montage and just have that be your... Like a beautiful mind, like, like that's sure, it's about math, but is it really about the math? It it really isn't. And um, so with... A film like Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Inspiring. Inspiring. Um, the science of acoustics has absolutely steeped right. throughout this film. All I can say is, is that it does take math rock to a whole new meaning. Okay. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Sound of Metal did not win most mathematically rigorous no. at the Absolutely. Terry Excellence Awards for science. Excellence in films. Yes. Uh, in fact, that went to Zack Snyder's The Justice League this time, um, because and I'm a real as a math as a math nerd myself. I was really excited about the scene. Um, it's it's Batman. It comes down to Batman, really. Batman, known for being the elite engineer he is, but also because Ben Affleck, the actor that played the Batman, is himself a math magician. 
He can do amazing things. He understands the math. The scene with the giant computer display where the Batman was calculating partial uh, partial derivative equations, was tracking data progression patterns, uh, you know, making vector translations. He clearly, Ben Affleck himself was clearly consulted on the math portrayed in this film um, because of how rigorous it was. That's exactly how you do Batman's job if Batman were real, is he'd have a big screen and he'd be doing math like that. And what it comes down to, again, is that Ben Affleck, he's a math magician because of all the research he did for Goodwill Hunting. Um, even though he was not the math genius in the movie Goodwill Hunting, he probably did more research than Matt Damon did in the film. Well, you know, that's, that, uh, that is that um, is how do you have a movie with Ben Affleck in a main role and not star- showcase his mathematical prowess. <laughs> it's what he's known for. It's it's one of his, um, you know, he's the quadruple threat. Sings, dances, acts, and can do math. And derives. Uh, very high order mathematics. Yeah, and I checked, I checked the path integrals over and over again, as well as the matrix operators, and it's impeccable. He's he he knows his stuff. And all that just to have it flash on the screen yeah, for less for- than two seconds. <laughs> Exactly. So uh, the next award is yeah. actually named after the uh, late visual effects innovator Sturgill Pratchett, who was, uh, well, of course, made the first commercially viable squib. Right. And that and is the, the, the Pratchett, Pratchett Award for but research and filmmaking. Not not the not the literature one. This is no. a different Pratchett. Sturgill Pratchett. The Sturgill Pratchett Award for research and filmmaking. Not Terry Pratchett. Not Terry Pratchett. This is not a show that talks about fiction. <laughs> Of that sort. Yes. Um, we talk about the fact in the fiction. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to give, I, I would want to, and like we saw a lot of examples of this in, in cinema this year. For example, it was Ma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, where Viola Davis did a, demonstrated a wonderful performance um, in the role as the titular Ma Rainey. There's a reason why she was chosen for the acting performance. Her singing was amazing. Her acting was amazing. Her command of the camera, of the stage. But as, as a historically accurate film, as, as a film where history played such a big part of it, the filmmakers were concerned that even after extensive cost- costuming and makeup, she didn't look enough like the illustrious and influential blues singer, uh, Ma Rainey. So instead of using old movie tricks, old tired movie tricks like CGI, uh, Viola Davis was superimposed with a DHC, a dense holographic casing, so that as she was acting in the film, the characters would see her around a, holog- uh, a hologram around her acting. Um, and the hologram, of, cor- of course, was of a completely computer-generated Ma Rainey, and it's truly amazing. This really does open up a uh, a lot of possibilities going forward, I think, in film, because as you put it, for example, when you have an artist, a, a, a professional, right. um, such as perhaps Tom Cruise, right. who is aging and is very self-conscious about it, and by all accounts, there is a great deal of digital de-aging that goes in in post. Mm-hmm. What you're saying with this is that it can, someone like that perhaps could be de-aged in pre or during production. Right. The way it should be. But unfortunately, it did not go to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom this year. It did not. It did not. Um, And we keep saying, unfortunately, um, for those films, because right. I think it's fortunate for all of us that... Zack Snyder's Justice League has won so many and has just won now mm-hmm. the 
award for research and filmmaking because Terry filmmaking. Let's let's talk very quickly about what happened with Zack Snyder's Justice League. There's a number of scenes that take place in Atlantis. So I, um, based on my understanding, right, and. It's all supposed to be underwater, and apparently Zack Snyder first filmed it underwater and looked at all the footage, said it was terrible. So, what he then went back and did was had a team of physicists and computer scientists Mm -hmm. research the optimal viscosity and shear stress coefficients for a fluid that would work better than water in action scenes. Unbelievable. And then using that, they could use certain tricks of you know adding glycerin or you know agitating the water in such a way that the actual aquatic scenes the viscosity was right that Mm -hmm. the actors had optimal ability to emote and move Mm -hmm. versus water fascinating it's truly fascinating um we you know if 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 a movie what an amazing movie to, to win so many awards already but there is one more film category that we want to talk about and that is by far some would say the 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 biggest award right and that is the uh at the terry excellence awards in film scientific excellence right um and that is the most scientific movie of the year award that's a big one and that and one. that takes uh encompasses a lot of things right it's it's there has to be a lot of boxes that are checked right for a film to be even considered for this right and so, let alone some, win if some of the movies that came out this year came out back you know in years past there's no doubt in my mind that they would have won it was very competitive for example uh i mean rowan i know you really wanted to talk about the borat subsequent movie film Yes, um, that is the chatter. Um, that that is the one most likely to win. It was yeah, most it was scientific a movie. huge contender because, I mean, what we what do we see here, Rowan? We see a character, a Borat figure, a scientist archetype who is dropped in a confusing world that they do not understand. Uh, things don't make sense, and what this character has to do is use their observation abilities, their sense of logic their sense of, I mean, true perseverance to break through this world, understand it bit by bit, and, and grow accustomed to it. He is he is really the Earth scientist, the perfect scientist. He's investigating, adapting his thesis. As time goes on, he's still curious. He's still trying he's to understand. Individual. And and ultimately, that is the root of all science, isn't it? Endless, boundless curiosity mm-hmm. and and a um, being. Not having answers, but being unafraid. Unfortunately, we do have to give it to Zack Snyder's Justice League once again. Sweeping the Terry Excellence Awards for Scientific Excellence. Um, but so, yeah, we are running a little low on time. Right? Yeah, so uh, we have a citizen science and... Um, the citizen science is, of course, the part of the show where we showcase. Um, we showcase you, listener. The findings that have been found by untrained individuals. Yes, the Borats out there. The, the, the people out there, um, the people, the laymen, individuals walking around in the street who make observations, who put two and two together, mm. make connections, and come to conclusions and, and thoughts that they then share on the internet and we are able to discuss and, and, and bring forward. Because there's almost always, there's almost at the very least a nugget mm. of wisdom 
And in most cases, there's a lot of wisdom. Rowan, what is our citizen science for this week? So I do not have an attribution for this, mm -hmm. um, attribution perhaps, but uh, this, this, this is a series of very, very interesting facts about something that I know I do quite often, and you probably do, well, maybe a little less often, and that is, of course, hugging. Oh, coding? Oh. Hugging. And um, here's some quick statistics on hugging. Mm -hmm. Number of times a person craves a hug in a day, 13. 13? Number of seconds the average hug lasts, 9.5. Now, here's one. I want you to guess this one, Kai. Okay. Number of seconds for a hug to have medical healing properties. Zero. I wish that would be... That would be a wonderful world. The answer is actually 20. 20 seconds. Wait, what, what is it saying? It has healing properties for 20 seconds? Uh, it, it's the, uh, it, that's how long it takes for a hug to have medical healing properties. That doesn't make... Why, Rowan? What doesn't make any sense? Well, um, well, and here's the last point okay. of these statistics, and this is the last of point these statistics, that, yes. th that they make, which is to hug long and hug often. Mm -hmm. is, there any, is, there a, is there a citation there? Where does this come from? This came from the people. Just I mean, okay, citizen scientists out there. Citizen scientists out there. I, you gotta love them. Um, it's just fantastic. I'd like to close in a quote by. Maybe you need a hug. Kyle. I'd like to close in a quote by Juanita Forte, a wildlife engineer. When's the last time you had physical intimacy with another human being, Kai? Juanita Forte, wildlife engineer, who said this: "We need to stop trusting what we know and start trusting what we don't know." Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are broadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPN LP 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio and rebroadcast every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WIIT 88.9 FM Chicago. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram and visit our website at EurekaCast.org. Rowan, I think we have some other social media. We do. If you do engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at Facebook.com slash EurekaCast or send an electronic mail to EurekaCastNow at gmail.com where you can share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that email, which is once again EurekaCast at gmail, excuse me, EurekaCastNow at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at EurekaCastNow to switch off the lamp to those passing shadows on the cave wall and say, good night. Lights, camera, action. <laughs>